0: Welcome to the Action Catalyst, where we share inspiration and insights to help you get moving, overcome mediocrity, and move toward achieving your goals in life. From Nashville, Tennessee, this is Dan Moore, your host, partner with Southwestern Consulting and president of Southwestern Advantage.
1: Are you interested in advertising with the Action Catalyst? Our listeners could be hearing about your brand right here, right now. For details,
0: shoot us an email at info at theactioncatalyst.com. Welcome to the Action Catalyst. Today, I am very excited because we're going to be talking with Dr. Ivan Meisner. Ivan is the founder and what he calls the chief visionary officer of BNI, Business Network International, and it is the world's largest business networking organization. I know that everybody that is in business at all understands the importance of networking. But BNI, because of its longstanding and because of its tremendous methodology and success, has helped tens of thousands of salespeople and business owners to be more successful. Started back in 1985, there's over 8,400 chapters in every continent of the world. And this is exciting. Last year alone, BNI generated over 9 million referrals that resulted in 13.6 billion, with a B, with a business for its members. It's fantastic. Ivan is a New York Times bestselling author. He's written 22 books. It may be more than that by now. He also is a regular contributor to entrepreneur.com, has been a university professor, and he's been called by many institutions such as CNN, the father of modern networking, and Forbes calls him one of the top networking experts in the world. He understands this and as a result has been a very popular keynote speaker at major corporations and associations throughout the world. The LA Times, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, TV, radio shows, CNN, BBC, Today Show. I don't even think we can get close to listing them all. But I suspect what he's most proud of is that he has been named Humanitarian of the Year by the Red Cross and recently received the John C. Maxwell Leadership Award. It tells you where his heart really comes from, and he's proud to be the co founder of the BNI Charitable Foundation. He and his wife, Elizabeth, are now currently empty nesters with three adult children. We share that trait. Oh, by the way, and in his spare time, He's also an amateur magician and a black belt in karate. So, Ivan, welcome to the Action Catalyst. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate you having me on. Well, we appreciate you and all that you do for business leaders and salespeople all over the world. We'd love to hear the backstory. You know, whenever people look at a thriving organization that is absolutely making a difference all over the world, it's easy to say, oh, this was clearly an overnight success. Well, not really, not starting in 85 and even before as you developed your, your methodology. Would you mind sharing a bit more of the backstory?
1: Yeah. So listen, I'd like to tell you, I had this uh, vision of an international organization with uh, chapters all over the world. But the truth is back in 1985, uh, I was looking for some referrals for my consulting business and I put together some people I trusted and they trusted me and uh, I was willing to refer them. I was hoping that they'd be willing to refer me. And we got together every week and we started passing each other referrals. And um, someone came to that first group who couldn't join because of a conflict. Uh, we we only allow one person per profession to join a, a BNI chapter, and her profession was represented. And she said, "Wow, this is awesome! I could get a a ton of business out of this. Would you help me open up my own group?" And um, I actually I actually said, I'm almost embarrassed to say this now. I actually said, "No, this isn't what I do." But they made the same argument. And I said, "Okay." And um, but in a year, we had 20 chapters of BNI, and what I discovered was that this is really a classic example of necessity being the mother of invention. Um, Business people wanted referrals, and there was no system in place for them to get it. And we don't teach this in colleges and universities anywhere in the world. And so BNI was a great uh, opportunity for them to generate their business through referrals. Um, We now have thousands of chapters all over the world. But it it took me a year to figure out that um, I really had a tiger by the tail.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. It's amazing because sometimes things might be called accidental greatness, where you end up in a business that was not what you started out to do, and it ends up being where you really make your mark. Yeah, and you know what? I, I sat down
1: at the end of that one year, I was being, between Christmas and New Year's, and I reflected, how, how, did, that, how did that year go? You know, do, I, I do this every year. and think about where I want to go in five years or 10 years and, and evaluate how the previous year... When, and that year in particular, I just looked at it and was like, what the heck just happened? <laughs> that, was, that was not part of my plan. And it, what struck me is the concept of push marketing versus pull marketing. Push marketing is where you're just working hard and you're pushing all the time. Pull marketing, we're getting just pulled through the marketplace. And I realized I was experiencing pull marketing. I was just being pulled through the marketplace and I really needed to pay attention to this because it was uh, I was striking a chord that I hadn't anticipated but it you know, was really taking off. So that's where I changed my focus and really sat down and tried to create a, a plan for the organization.
0: Right. Well, when you think about uh, poll marketing, really a referral is much, much closer to a poll than a cold call that's just all push and it all fits together.
1: Right. It, it, no question about it. And you know, I understand cold calling. I used to train people how to do it. I did it long enough to know that I don't want to ever do it again for the rest of my life. And um, that's really one of the reasons why I put p and I together. Um, another thing was that I went to a lot of networking groups, and and I saw two kinds. Back in 1985, I saw these groups that were really mercenary. Dan, I mean, they're just incredibly mercenary, where you'd walk in and everyone was trying to sell you. And I felt I'd leave those meetings. I felt like I was slimed,
0: hmm.
1: and I needed a shower. Hmm. And then I went to these other groups that were just all social. There's happy hour and hors d'oeuvres, and there was no business being done. And I really thought there had to be something else, something that would merge a focus on business with a focus on relationship. And and that's really what I tried to do with B&I, was to merge the two effectively.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, can you can you outline how a typical chapter operates? I know that people take it seriously because they pay to be a member of a chapter and to be involved in a networking group. Uh, sort of the current structure, somebody said, how could I get involved or what would it be all about? Well,
1: we have a pretty structured meeting. Um, they Most of the meetings start in the morning. Uh, we do have some at lunch and a few in the evening, but most are morning. And it opens up with some open networking where people, um, you know, sort of meet and greet each other. Uh, then, When everyone sits down, the uh, members introduce themselves. They give a, their weekly presentation, which depending on the cha- uh, size of the chapter is anywhere from 30 seconds to 60 seconds each. And then the visitors introduce themselves. We do uh, some admin. Um, the, we, we have a speaker. The speaker is a BNI member. It's never an outside speaker. It's a BNI member and they go a little deeper talking about who they are and what they do. Usually as much as 10 minutes. And then um, we have the most important part of the meeting, and that's the referral part of the meeting. And that's where everybody stands up one at a time, and they'll say, "I have, I have two referrals today. One is for so and so. One is for so and so." And that's how we know how many referrals we passed because we keep track of it online. And that's how we know how much business was generated—a thirteen-plus billion dollars that you mentioned—because um, we keep it. We keep track of that online as well. Um, then we wrap up the meeting. Uh, the meeting, the entire thing is usually, depending on the size of the chapter, an hour and a half, and we're off and go go do business that week.
0: Exactly, and they get back together the next week and might have a different speaker, different presentations, different needs, different client proposals.
1: Yeah, yeah. Every week it's it's planned repetition. Um, we do have you know a different member who speaks every week, and we suggest to the members that. They change up their presentation every week. Their weekly presentation should focus on a different element of their business. And, um, and to remember, and this is an important thing, to remember that you're there to train a sales force, not make a sale. Mm-hmm. You're teaching people how to refer you. You're not trying to close deals. And when they understand that and they do a good job of teaching people how to refer them, it can be very effective.
0: Mm-hmm. So the product they're selling is actually the individual. And they're not trying to sell to each other in this meeting. That makes total sense. It, it, it Sometimes, you know, it, it's a great place to start. You know, use my
1: product so you understand. Use my service so you understand it. But no, the real referral, you, you're correct. The real referrals are outside referrals. Inside referrals, the existing members are just a place to start. Uh, you really want to focus on getting referrals outside.
0: Right. So basically, I want to teach you how to sell me. Yeah. And I'll do that in the format of a presentation so you understand what I do better.
1: Right. And the better that you do that, the more referrals you're going to get. And at the same time, that you're, you know, listening, uh, I call it listen for the language of referrals. You have to teach people to listen for potential referrals. And there are phrases that people use whenever they're about to give a referral. For example, um, they may say, The phrases may begin with, I can't, I need, I want, I don't know. Whenever somebody says, I can't, I need, I want, I don't know, um, whatever they say next is a referral for somebody. Mm. If they say, you know, I can't get this computer to work or, um, gosh, I don't know how to, I don't know how to do, you know, X, then that's a potential referral for somebody. And that should be a flag where they go, Oh, you know, I know somebody that might be able to help you with that. I'm going to see them uh, tomorrow morning. Would you like me to give them your card? And that's when you get a referral.
0: Mm-hmm. So you teach the members to have their radar calibrated to detect those phrases and those words, because that's an opportunity monitor right there.
1: That, that is exactly correct. Uh, we, we talk about uh, something called the reticular activating system. A reticular activating system is a part of the brain that screens out stuff that you don't need to know. For example, have you ever been in an airport? And, uh, there's all this noise going on and there's announcements and, and, you know, people are talking and kids are screaming. And then, and then they put your name on the loudspeaker and all of a sudden you go, Hey, wait, that was me. They just called me. (laughs) Right. So you, you, your reticular activating system screens on everything except those things that are, are important to you. That gets through your reticular activating system. So what we try to teach people is, understand the reticular activating system, keep it open so that when you hear people use phrases like I can't, I need, I want, I don't know, that you know, you you recognize that that's a potential referral for somebody. Pay attention to that.
0: Mm -hmm. And again, it creates a lot more receptive prospect for whatever the service or product is because the referral is built on trust.
1: Oh, yeah. Referral is so much more powerful than, you know, a, a lead off of some other a mechanism because there's a mutual relationship there. Um, if, if someone refers me to you, um, we both know that person who referred me. You've met them. They may be a friend. I know them. They may be a friend. And so that mutual relationship, um, what happens is some of their credibility rubs off on me because they're recommending me to you.
0: Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Uh, I did some research and read some wonderful quotations by you, Ivan, very inspiring about networking and about this. May I quote some of them back to you and then get your comments and expansion on those? Absolutely. One of the ones I really enjoyed was that when you say referrals are very powerful, when I refer you, I give a little bit of my reputation away. Yeah. If you do a good job, my friend that hired you is pleased. If you do a bad job, that reflects badly on me and people forget that.
1: They really do. Um, I think you know word of mouth is is very important, and you want to refer people only when you feel comfortable with them, when you know, like, and trust them. Um, which is really interesting because I, you know, I'll refer somebody, you know, um, that that I that I don't know. I, I, I you know, if, if somebody I don't know, I'll say, oh, you know, I know uh, there, there was an ad on you know such and such that I saw you might want to call them but if it's a friend of mine I'm not going to refer them to anything unless I know that person personally um and so when when you give a referral especially to somebody who you have a good relationship with you don't want that referral to screw up because that looks bad for you so I only refer people um that I know to people I know does that make sense
0: Yeah, it it totally does. Does this relate to your term premature solicitation?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, I I use that in a book that I wrote uh, called Business, Networking, and Sex, Not What You Think. That's part of the title, Not What You Think. It's about the difference between men and women and how they network. And we found that a number of people are um, really, they practice um, this direct selling where they just meet somebody and they go right for the sale. And, and that's where we came up with the phrase uh, premature solicitation.
0: That's a sense of humor there. Yeah. So it's really about cultivating relationships and waiting until the moment is right because then the receptivity is very high. Right. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, it is. So the, the foundation of everything I teach is really based on a concept I call VCP, visibility, credibility, profitability. First, you have to be visible. People have to know who you are and what you do. Then you move over time to credibility, where people know who you are, they know what you do, and they know you're good at it. And then and only then can you move to profitability, where people know who you are, they know what you do, they know you're good at it, and they're willing to give you referrals on an ongoing reciprocal basis. And um, premature solicitation happens when people try to jump over visibility, jump over credibility, get right to profitability. You know, hi, Dan, my name's Ivan, let's do business. And and they just bypass everything. And um, that rarely works well.
0: Mm, absolutely, you're also very strong on the fact that this is not hocus pocus. This is work. I love your phrase. This is not net sitting or net eating. It's networking.
1: That's right. <laughs> yeah, you got to work it. I see. I see people that they, you know, they join a network and they expect the referrals to just pop out of the ceiling. It doesn't work that way. There are certain things you got to do if you if you want to build your business through uh, referrals. If you want to build a powerful personal network you got to work it. And by working I mean you have to build relationships. Uh, I think the single most important thing I teach in networking is that networking is more about farming than it is about hunting. It's about cultivating relationships with people. And all too often, people use networking. Um, they, 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 they hunt for their networking. And they go to networking events. They don't get any business. And they go, well, this networking thing doesn't work. Well, it works fine. You're just doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you go to networking events, you should be working through the VCP process, not trying to make a sale. Look, you'll stumble over business every now and then. It happens. But even a blind squirrel can find a nut. (laughs) You can stumble over it. But what I'm trying to teach people is not to stumble over it and not to do direct sales, but to build relationships to get referrals and be successful.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. So I did want to segue into what you consider some of the biggest mistakes that people make in terms of how they try to get for referrals. And you've already highlighted one. It's where they jump from visibility to profitability, just pull out the arrow and shoot without any attempt to really aim properly. Yeah. What, what would you say are some other common errors of why, why people say, oh, I've tried referrals, they don't work, or I don't know how to ask? What type of guidance do you think is, is best?
1: Yeah well the the number one mistake is the is what what I call the networking disconnect which uh, you know is asking for the business uh, too quickly but beyond that uh, there are many uh, things that people I think do wrong um they they make networking very transactional it's about uh, it's about you know ma- selling rather than building relationships one of the things we found in the gender book was that people who were more relational in their networking uh, generated more business than people who were uh, uh, I'm sorry yeah, people who are more relational generated more business than those who were transactional. And so it's really about um, getting information from the other per- person, finding out about them, building a little bit of a relationship. And so, uh, you know, there's a number of ways that that can happen. It can, it can happen by when you meet people, you know, learning how to ask them questions. Be a good interviewer. A good networker has two ears and one mouth and should use them both proportionally.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's almost like you're like you're interviewing me. You're asking me questions. You're giving me a, an opportunity to elaborate. That's what a good networker does: is they ask questions and give the other person an opportunity to elaborate and to talk. And and that takes us to this whole thing where maybe introverts aren't good at networking, but extroverts are. Uh, well, I, I don't believe that's true. Um, you know, extroverts have no problem meeting people. But um, they can't shut up,
0: right? <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: And what are, what's their favorite subject?
0: Me, myself, and I.
1: <laughs> That's right. And so um, extroverts, look, if you're an extrovert, you have to learn to ask questions and listen. And so extroverts, the mistake they make is they go in and they just start talking about themselves. Introverts, uh, they understand that they, that they have a hard time meeting people. And so they have to work on, on learning how to meet people Easier and more effectively. But it's actually, I think, easier for an, an introvert to be good at networking because it, they inherently are better listeners. And so if they can just get past the, the issue of meeting people, uh, they can be great at networking.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Susan Kane's book called Quiet, but it was revolutionary for me because I do a lot of platform speaking and people say I'm an extrovert, but the reality is I am an introvert. Yeah. And uh, the book helped realize that every type of personality can be highly effective in sales and, and success. Just they go at it different ways.
1: Okay. So um, I'll, I'll tell you a story. I'll try to make it quick. A number of years ago, my kids were out for the evening there in high school. I'm sitting down with my wife. We're having a conversation. She said she had written, uh, read some book about um, introverts and extroverts. And I said, Oh, well, you know me, honey. I'm such an extrovert. And she looked at me and she said, um, No, you're not. <laughs> like, what do you mean I'm not? I run the world's largest network. Of course I am. Yeah. Whatever you say, honey, she said. (laughs) But you're not. Like, what do you mean I'm not? You know, I'm a keynote speaker. I do this, I do that. She said, whatever you think. Now I'm annoyed. I go in, I take a test. Uh, I do a search on Google. I take a test. It's good. I'm going to show her. I'm an extrovert. Take this test. It comes back. It says, congratulations, Ivan Meisner. You are an introvert who is a situational extrovert. When you're talking about your subject or when you're, um, you know, with close friends, you come across as an extrovert. Otherwise you are an introvert. And that's where I learned about this whole concept of situational extroverts. And much to my surprise, I was one, am one.
0: Mm -hmm. It's fantastic. And I suppose there definitely can be situational introverts where the natural extrovert learns how to shut up and listen.
1: Yeah, probably.
0: Yeah, that's, that is fantastic. Um, you speak a lot about the impact of relationships. You're also very involved in not-for-profit and making the world better. In fact, you, one of your quotes that inspired me was, you can make a good living while serving a greater good. Yeah. Do you mind sharing a bit about your sort of philosophy on, on giving and what that means?
1: So I believe that I, as a, you know, I, I don't like to tell other people what they should do, but I, I believe that I, as a, as a successful businessman, have an obligation to put back into the communities from which I draw. And so I've been very active in nonprofit organizations for decades, and there's so much out there, and, and you know, there's so the need is so great. My philosophy on it is that um, that I may not be able to make a world of difference, but I can make a difference in the world, and I do that just one step at a time, continuously supporting local community um, activities. My um, my personal foundation and the BNI Foundation focus on children and education. And we do that because, um, you know, the children represent 20% or so of our population, but they represent a hundred percent of our future.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So the the projects that we tend to work on are really children uh, related or educationally related e- education, because I think education is the great equalizer. Uh, I came from a very, very modest, um, background, my family, um, very modest means grew up in a very low middle class um, neighborhood, and I had to put myself through college. I understand. I mean, I had some scholarships, but I, I actually received a fifty percent scholarship to Occidental, but I couldn't afford the other fifty percent. So I I went ended up going to a junior college and a state university um, before I did my graduate school and went into debt up to my eyebrows <laughs> at USC <laughs> uh, for my my master's and doctorate, but. Um, you know, I learned the the value of education, and I think it's the great equalizer in the world that people with an education can uh, accomplish so much, uh, but they just
0: don't have the opportunities. Well, that's true. How does the BNI Foundation try to specialize in that type of help? It's such a huge issue.
1: Uh, we do mini-grants to teachers, so we bypass everything. We go right to the teacher. So when the teacher comes to us with a project, uh, we... They're small mini grants, one, $2,000. Um, but it, yeah, it goes, they, we deal directly with the teacher and directly with the project. And so, uh, you know, we bypass all the admin. Um, the other thing we have is, is an amazing program that my wife created called business voices. And it is a way for our BNI members to work in the community, uh, to help in community projects. For example, vocation days. Uh, I, I remember um, one, one area was in San Francisco, uh, this local school, they would do these vocation days and they'd invite different vocations in, but they'd, only get, they'd always get the same couple. There was a retired judge and I think a real estate agent, and that was it. Nobody else would go to the vocation days. So the principal mentioned this to our chapter, and the chapter said, oh, I mean, if we got this, we got 40 different professions, we'll send a bunch of them. And they did, and for the first time ever, this school – had an awesome vocation day. And I'll never forget the, the one of the, one of the, he's a, a close friend and a good executive director there. His name is Mike. And he went in to be, to, to talk about what is an entrepreneur. And these are all elementary school kids. So how do you explain what an entrepreneur is <laughs> to, a, to an elementary school kid? So he went in. It was, it was hysterical. He said, okay, you guys want to know? Um, the coolest thing about being an entrepreneur. And they're like, yeah, what? You have no boss. You're the boss. And these kids were like, no, you have no boss. That's right. You have no boss. What a great way to get the kids fully engaged. I bet you he gets a few entrepreneurs out of doing that, that, you know, vocation day, uh, <laughs> with the kids. So those kinds of projects, business has a voice. Business can make a difference in the local communities. It's called Business Voices. It's part of the BNI Foundation.
0: I love it. I encourage all of our listeners to look into it more, as I will. I think it's fantastic.
1: It, by the way, if I can say, Business Voices is open to all organizations. It's not just BNI, it's an initiative of BNIs, but it's open to anyone.
0: That's great. And it gets people doing exactly what you do best networking yes. and making a difference. Yeah. That's excellent. You're such a prolific author as well. Ivan, I have two questions on that. First, is how do you make the time to create books while you're also running a business, growing it, recruiting leadership, developing future, etc.? How do you how do you carve out the time?
1: Uh, you got to make the time. I put it in my calendar. Um, now I'm no I'm no longer running the day to day operations of BNI, but uh, you know I did for 30 years. Uh, today I'm sort of the Colonel Sanders of BNI. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the face of and I, but for 30 years, I, I, you know, ran it in and, um, and wrote. So you got to make time. Uh, I block off for many years. I blocked off time. Um, it was usually Wednesdays. Wednesdays were my writing day. It started with a half a day. And as time went on, it was the full day. And every week I would write, uh, most of the day Wednesday. And that's how I was able to uh, punch out a number of books. I also worked as time went on, I worked with more and more co-authors. So that, you know, they were bringing new ideas and fresh concepts to me, and we'd work on books together. I've got my 23rd book coming out next month. And I'm really excited about it. I think it'll, I think it's probably going to make the biggest difference uh, in people's lives than any book I've done so far.
0: Uh, that's saying a great deal. Can you share the title with us in a bit of a preview?
1: Yeah. It's called Who's in Your Room. Uh, it is available on Amazon for pre order now, but it'll be released in November. It's called, Who's in Your Room? Would you like a a two-minute synopsis of the book? I would love that. Imagine you live your life in one room. And that one room has one door. And that one door is an enter-only door. So that when people come into your life and into your room, they are there forever. You can never get them out. Now, luckily, this is a metaphor, but for a moment, let's just assume it's not. If it were true, would you be more selective, Dan, about the people that you let into your life? Absolutely. Everybody says that to me. Everyone says that. So my question is, why don't we? Why aren't we more selective? Because I would argue that it's actually more than a metaphor. Because, and anyone listening to this right now, I want you to think of someone who got into your life that you wish had never been there. They created chaos. I want you to think of a name.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Dan, have you thought of a name? You don't have to say who it is, but do you have somebody in your mind? I do. Okay, so here's the deal. It's more than a metaphor because if they're in your head, they're still in your room. They may be out of your life, but they're still in your room because decisions you make for the rest of your life will be based in part based on the experiences that you had with that person in the past. Mm-hmm. And and so it's very important that we be very selective about the people that we let close to us or let into our room. And so what we talk about in the book, it's a very actionable book. Here are the things that you do to screen out people. And, and in order to do that, you've got to be really good with your values. You have to know what your values are so that you're bringing people into your life that don't have values that are um, really contradictory to yours, that uh, can integrate with your values. So you have to learn how to do that. And and then you have to learn how to deal with the people that you've let into your room that maybe you shouldn't have um, or family members that you have no choice about. And then how do you live your best life? Uh, You know, how do you live the life that you dream of? And uh, it's a very actionable book and will be out in November. I honestly think this will make a bigger difference in people's lives than any book I've done.
0: Well, that's, that's again, saying a great deal. I know that uh, Jack Canfield reviewed the book that he co authored with Michelle Donovan called The 29% Solution. And Jack said, it's an extraordinary book that can take you and your business to a whole new level of success. So if you think this would be even more influential than that, that's saying a tremendous amount, Ivan.
1: Well, thank you. And Jack was kind enough to do a great, great testimonial endorsement for this book as well, saying it's uh, uh, one of the most uh, important self-development books he's ever read.
0: That's awesome. Can you share what the 29% solution is? Sounds like an old uh, Arthur Conan Doyle novel. (laughs)
1: Well, it kind of is in a way. It it was based on an article I wrote years ago called Santa Claus, Easter Bunny, and Six Degrees of Separation. Mm. And um, we asked the question in the book, and I I asked it in in my article, what do they all have in common? And the answer is they're all uh, urban legends. Now, now I'm not gonna I'm not gonna uh, tackle uh, Santa Claus or Easter Bunny, but let, let's talk about the six degrees thing. You know how everybody says, "Well, it's okay," you know, we're, we're I'll I'll find the person I need. We're all separated by six degrees, right? Mm-hmm. You know that concept. Yes. Well, the truth is, um, we're not, and it was based on research done by Stanley Milgram in the '60s. Um, Milgram never said everyone is connected by six degrees. He did a study called the small world study, make a very long story short. It, uh, it found based on this study that, um, the people who were able, he, he gave people an assignment to find someone and the people who were able to find that person found them in about six steps. The problem was only 29% of all the respondents were able to find that person. 71% 71% couldn't find their car keys they 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 didn't they couldn't find the guy at all and so uh, people started talking about the fact that we're all separated by 6 degrees when in fact that was never what Stanley Milgram found he found that that 29% of the respondents were able to find the individual or be connected to the individual in 6 degrees and 6 steps so the book is really how do you become part of the 29% hence the 29% solution how do you be one of those people connected to anyone in the world by six degrees? And That's, that's what the book does. It's a 52-week uh, networking success strategy so that you can be part of
0: the six degrees. Right. Now, I've also read that with the burgeoning of social media, whether it's through Facebook, LinkedIn, so many other sources, that the degrees of separation have reduced. Right. What are your thoughts about that? Is it Becoming easier to connect with all these people or is it a more clutter
1: well possibly the connection may be there the question is 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 the person willing to make the introduction Mm -hmm. so um just because you just just because i know someone doesn't mean i'm willing to refer you to them um and and i get this all the time where people i don't know ask me for an introduction to someone i do know and i'm like you know i don't even know you (laughs) And you want me to introduce you to a close friend where you can go spam them? That's not going to happen. And so you you may be connected, but the question is, so here's, here's a short version of my answer. You know the expression, it's not what you know, it's who you know?
0: I've heard that one, yes.
1: I don't think it's either. I don't think it's what you know or who you know. It's how well you know them that counts. So Facebook has redefined what a friend is. I may be connected with you on Facebook, but that doesn't mean I'm willing to refer anyone who just reaches out to me and asks for an introduction. It's What counts is not just knowing that person, but being able to call that person and have them, A, take your call, B, uh, talk to you about whatever it is that you're doing, and C, actually make the connection. That means there needs to be a real relationship. And without that, the connection is meaningless.
0: mm it's definitely not a three-dimensional living, breathing connection. That's what we're talking about.
1: That's that's correct. Yeah.
0: Well, that's great. Ivan, mean, it's inspiring just to to hear what you have to say and how you have to say it. It resonates in your words, in your nonverbals, how powerfully you believe this. Along the way, you're bound to have hit some setbacks, some roadblocks and delays and frustrations, unexpected barriers. What what over the years have you learned are effective coping strategies when you feel like you've just hit a wall?
1: Yeah. So years ago, I was talking to a friend of mine, and and I was really concerned about whether I was going to make a mistake on some situation or not. And and you know, as the company was growing, my decisions didn't just impact me; they impact the the lives of many other people who worked for me or, or were part of the organization, and. And My friend said something very surprising to me. He said, are you worried about making mistakes? I said, yeah. He said, don't be worried about making mistakes. You will. You're going to do it. You're going to do it way more than you would like. I'm like, well, that's not, that's not very helpful. He said, yeah, but the thing is, we all make mistakes. What you have to do is figure out it was a mistake as soon as possible. And as soon as you figure out that's a mistake, you've got to fix it ASAP. So you acknowledge the error and address it as quickly as possible. And that was fantastic advice. And it was advice I've used uh, throughout my career. Um, you know, I've made uh, my more than my share of mistakes. The thing is, I think a successful person doesn't define themselves by their mistakes. They define themselves by their successes. And they, they acknowledge the mistakes and uh, fix them. They don't define themselves by those mistakes and uh, i've made a lot of mistakes but i try to define myself by my successes
0: Mm -hmm. now in terms of expansion because you are internationally on every continent that's habited um how did you make those decisions to really branch out because it involves investment it involves creating awareness of who you are what you stand for building credibility in an all new market um what general guidelines would you share there? So for me, it was it was
1: almost one hundred percent, like ninety eight percent referral. So I built B and I um, on the foundation of what the business is about, which is referrals. And so I constantly said to people, "If you know somebody that would like to do this in an area that we're not operating in, please refer them." And uh, there's, I think, Singapore and Mexico are the only two places that weren't a referral the other 71 countries were all built based on referral. So walking the talk with your business is helpful.
0: Outstanding it is. And you can find a lot of your leaders in various countries on the website for BNI and it's diverse and it's everywhere and it's powerful. Uh, Any general thoughts for our listeners, I guess, today, Ivan, on how to avoid any sense of complacency? You've accomplished, you've achieved, and yet you're continuing to grow, you're giving back, you're working with your foundation, you're spending time with your family. How does a person hit a level of success and still challenge themselves to keep growing?
1: Well, first of all, I think success is the uncommon application of common knowledge. Um, you know, I, most people know what it takes to be successful. They just don't apply it. And so and I talk about that in a book I wrote called, um, masters of success. And so it, it is easy to get into mediocrity. Um, uh, a phrase that i use all the time with my members is why accept mediocrity when excellence is an option and excellence is an option mm. so uh, i i try myself and i and i work with my directors and members to really focus on uh on the excellence because it's it is so easy to get into a a, a rut or a routine but that's not the way to achieve success i mean i i here's a, a couple of examples of what i'm talking about um, I read years ago about Arnold Palmer, who is obviously one of the the greats in golf. Every year he would uh, he would hire, and this is when he was at the top of his game. He would hire a, a, a golf coach, and I remember reading that, and going, "What? <laughs> he was the top he was the top golf player in the world at the time. Why would he hire a coach? And he, he constantly had to work on his swing because it's easy to." to get lazy with your swing. Mm. And so he would have uh, the coach film him and work with him and get back to the fundamentals. And so when you have somebody like Arnold Palmer, um, you know, focusing on getting on back to the fundamentals and and um uh, Vince Lombardi, I remember reading about Vince Lombardi and I had an opportunity to talk a number of times to Vince Lombardi Jr. And in uh, Vince Lombardi Jr. told me his dad would often start every season. He'd, he'd get all the players around him, and he'd hold up a football and he'd say, "Gentlemen, this is a football."
0: <laughs>
1: and these are guys that are professional football players. You know, they knew what it was, of course. But but it was about getting back to basics. So, the one of the ways to get away from mediocrity is to focus on the fundamentals and to improve them every single day. And if you're constantly working on the fundamentals, you're going to be on the top of your game. Mm -hmm. And if you're on the top of your game, you're focusing on excellence.
0: It's fantastic because anything that is really worth doing, you never actually can become perfect at it. No. You can always be getting better. And the fundamentals and constant attention to those gets us there.
1: That's, That's absolutely right. Listen, I may walk into a room, I may not be the smartest guy in a room, I may not be the most talented guy in a room, but I am almost always the most persistent guy in a room. I am like a dog with a bone. And, and so when I'm working on something, I want to particularly, you know, a a project that's important to me, it's about the fundamentals and it's about working it over and over and over and over until I get it right. And until I get it really uh, um, done well. And to me, that's, I, I, that goes to something that I think a lot of business people um, really screw up. Sometimes I get people ask me, you know, what's, what's one of the more important things for a business person to understand? And, and I tell them, you're going to really be successful in business, do six things a thousand times, not a thousand things six times. Mm -hmm. And, and it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be six. It could be five. It could be seven, but it's a handful of things and you do it over and over and over and over consistently. Uh, and don't, don't be chasing bright, shiny objects. Now, how do you know which six things to do? Well, you You listen to podcasts like this where you get great ideas, you read books, you have mentors, you figure out what the the most important handful of things to do are, and then you're a dog with a bone and you do them over and over and over again, and that's how you get out of mediocrity and focus on excellence.
0: I think that is a phenomenal theme, and that's something that every listener and myself can take to heart and put into practice. Ivan, we're very grateful for you um you have broken loose the careers of countless people by showing them that it's not just about cold calls although they do play a role in most businesses it's also about the relationships the networking the referrals and trust and we all know the world could use a whole lot more trust right now
1: <laughs> yes it
0: could no question
1: about that um, you know one of our principal our, our principal core value one of our philosophies for bni is givers gain that if you want people to help you you got to be willing to help them And I think today more than ever, that philosophy is needed in the world and it is principled to the way we operate.
0: Mm -hmm. Giver's gain. I can't imagine a better way to wrap up than on that quote. So once again, Ivan Meisner, founder, chief visionary officer of Business Network International. It has been inspiring to spend this time with you. And on behalf of all of our listeners, thank you.
1: Well, thank you, Dan. It was a pleasure being on your show. I appreciate it.
0: What a phenomenal opportunity to spend time with Dr. Ivan Meisner. BNI, Business Network International, has changed the lives of so many people in small business and bigger businesses. Uh, I cut my teeth in cold calling. I'm a real believer in it. I think it's a ultimate controllable in terms of effort. I also know how much I enjoyed it when I did have a referral. And what Ivan and his team have done over the decades of hard work is provide a framework and a structure for people in business to actually learn how to cultivate referrals, and it all starts with the individual. I love how his emphasis is on the individual becoming somebody that you would be happy to refer, and that's based upon trust. That one of the biggest networking disconnects that goes on is when people ask for business too quickly, when they think, uh, I just need a referral. Hey, can you think of anybody that would like to buy my product or would like to buy my service? Ivan very carefully and systematically has explained, no, 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 there's, there's three steps. The first one is visibility, to be seen in the industry, to be known by other people. You've got to be out there. Uh, One of his great quotes is that networking is not net eating, net sitting, net watching. It's called networking. You've got to work at it, and you've got to get out there to make that happen. But once we're out there and there's some visibility, then we gain credibility. Credibility means, do I believe you? Is what you say what I'm going to get? And credibility is at the heart of a person feeling comfortable making that referral and recommending. We put ourselves at risk whenever we refer somebody. I mean, think about it. Anytime you've had somebody ask for a recommendation to something as simple as a great place to eat, part of us always wonders, well, I like it, but I wonder if they'll like it. It's even more powerful when we realize that by referring someone, we're gonna be taking up the time of the person to whom we referred them. And so credibility, do I believe this person? Do I believe enough that they're going to have some opportunity to help the people I'm gonna refer them to? And then and only then can we move toward profitability. So VCP, visibility, credibility, and profitability. Really liked what he had to say there. Um, I think what Ivan has also learned is that people can be taught how to be aware of what he terms so brilliantly the language of referrals. That when we simply have our internal radar that are attuned to certain key phrases like I can't how to do this. I need to make this work in my business. I want to do this next process. I don't know how to do X, Y, or Z. Then that's an opportunity. And when we have our ears open and we're calibrated toward that, then we have the opportunity to help link someone. Networking, in my judgment, is about linking. There's needs and there's wants. And the networker is the link. And that can find people that can fill those needs and wants and can make that work in in terms of providing service and value to what goes on. It's so key. It's about relationships because when we have relationships with people, there's a lot more business that comes our way. It's interesting as we've talked to various guests on the action catalyst, their inner drivers that make a difference to their lives. In Ivan's case, it's all about serving a greater good, making the world a better place. He got into networking as a business really quite by accident. It wasn't what he did. But I think he quickly saw that this is where there's a need. This is where there is an opportunity. And this is something that I can, in fact, do. And it reminds me of the quotation that was shared with us by Freddie Ravel from Aristotle, that when a person's abilities and talents meet a need the world has, then one's true vocation lies therein. And obviously, Ivan has done that, which is just great. He's a prolific writer. Uh, The way that happens is he just blocks time. Sounds simple, doesn't it? But when running a very large and successful, thriving, multinational business, blocking time is not as simple as it sounds. So what he found was most effective is to make Wednesdays his writing times. It started off first in the morning, then extended to where it was much more time on a typical Wednesday. But his 23rd book's about to come out, and that lets us know there is definitely the possibility to write and create if we simply make it a priority. Looking forward to getting that book called Who's in Your Room? remember, we all become like the people we associate with. And when we read that book, we're going to get some deeper insights into not only who is currently or physically in our room, but who are we allowing to remain in our room of our memory you know, when they've maybe been along from the scene, but their memory uh, and of the interaction still bothers us. And it's not something that helps us to be the very best that we can. Ultimately, Ivan believes that givers are the ones that gain, that through the process of giving, we gain so much more. And that's such a key. I was inspired when he spoke about mistakes and coping with problems and setbacks along the way. He said the best advice he ever got was a friend that said, don't worry about making mistakes. You're gonna make them, just understand that. And so the two steps that he has worked with is first of all, acknowledge the error. When an error has happened, when a mistake is made, acknowledge it. And number two, address it immediately and fix it so that we can move beyond it. There's a lot of excuse making that goes on in the world. And if we can get away from that, It'll make such a difference in what happens for everyone. It's about relationships. And as we work hard to get better at this, it's gonna help our world actually get closer, built on foundations of credibility, trust, and respect. And I believe that Ivan Meisner is on a world-changing course, and we're grateful for what he's accomplished with BNI and the many leaders that are still in that organization and thriving and growing and making it happen. So thank you for joining us here on the Action Catalyst inspirational day. Look forward to next time. Bye-bye.